Well, good morning. I am so excited about our text this morning. I am so excited about it. I don't need, yes, thank you, David. Yeah. You don't even need to hear me preach. We just got to read the word together. We're going to begin this morning by hopping right back into the ongoing series that we've been going through in Ezra. And we'll actually spend the majority of our time in a text that, that isn't this one that we're just about to read in a minute. We're going to be spending our time in Nehemiah. So don't even worry about turning in your Bibles right now. I'm just going to read the beginning of our story in the next part of the narrative of Ezra. It's Ezra 7, verses 1 through 10. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zodak, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Meroath, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest, the son of many people. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of the king Artaxerxes. And Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the the first day of the fifth month. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel." You join me in prayer. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together this morning, together as one, be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning we're going to see the hero, the main character of this renewal story. The book is called Ezra. He must be the hero, right? I was beginning to wonder, why isn't this book called the book of Zerubbabel? Because this this Z guy, he's actually been the main character so far. If you haven't noticed that, chapters 1 through 6, we haven't even heard of this Ezra character. But finally, we have Ezra on the scene. And in the big picture of where we've been in the book of Ezra, remember, the people of Israel had been sent into exile. They had been conquered by the kingdom of Babylon. They had been, the kingdom of Babylon then had been taken over by the kingdom of Persia. And for 70 years, the people of God were in exile. But God stirred the heart of King Cyrus, and the people began to go back. And where we've been for the first six chapters is as the people return, what happens? And they begin to rebuild the temple. And then they receive opposition and the temple building stops being built for about 14 years. And last week, Joel shared with us how through the prophets of Zechariah and through Haggai, the temple building began to be built again. And finally, it was completed. So we left off last week with the temple finally being completed. And here is the timeline. Let me zoom in just a little bit more for you so you can see it. And Ezra 7 begins some 60 years later. And it's kicked off with this question. We have the temple. We have the place of worship built back. 
is that what renewal is all about? Is it like Field of Dreams? You know, you build it and renewal will come. And this is the question. How do we get from a building to a relationship? How do we go from renewing a place to renewing a people? And in Ezra 7-8, through 8, we pick up the action 60 years later. And we're introduced to a new wave of people who are coming into the land. Because God stirred up the heart of the king of Persia once again. It's sort of a rhythm here. Just like chapters 1 and 2, Ezra tell a story. 7 and 8 tell another story of a new wave. And in this case, it's Artaxerxes is the king. And they're traveling back with all their supplies and with all their people. And they return to the land. But what is different about them is kind of my question I want to ask this morning. What's different? What's the purpose of this new wave of people? Because Ezra's coming. And he's going to bring something. The hero here is going to be on display. And we're going to see renewal of relationship brought in an amazing way. And wait for it. Get excited. It's going to be through the law. The law. Law, really? The law? Now we have two questions this morning that I want to explore. That we're going to need to explore because this law word has a lot of connotations that go with it. So the first thing we're going to ask is, what is the law? And by that I mean, what is our text referring to when we hear the law? And secondly, what are we going to do with it? So along the way, I'm actually going to share a couple of the uses of the law. And don't get distracted by that. That's not our main point this morning. But for those who are taking notes along, we can talk more about it at a later date. And the second question is, how does the law bring renewal by that i mean especially for us today is this just something that is true for the people in this story what are we what are we to do with it how can it be that god's law brings renewal isn't god's law like the opposite of relationship how does the law bring renewal and the answer is because it draws them into relationship with god It's through the law that will go from the place of worship to the people of worship. Now, as we saw last week, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they're they're chronicles of a narrative, and they're sort of compiled to tell a theological story rather than a chronological story. And so this morning, to see in depth what Ezra was coming to do, his mission on display, I want to share with you a story. That's why I'm so excited about the text. You heard that first one, you're like, what's so exciting about that? But this text this morning, let me tell you, we're going we're gonna to hop into Nehemiah 8. You can see it right there. And this is sort of where Nehemiah 8 pops in. It's sort of the example of what Ezra came to do. And so if you turn into your pew Bibles, into page 389, we're going to be reading Ezra, I mean, sorry, we're reading Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. And that's sort of where we'll be dwelling this morning. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. Page 389. Hear the word of the Lord. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, 
which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and all those who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the, the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mathathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah. And they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is the word of the Lord. What an amazing picture, right? Ezra's mission, he's coming to teach the law, to teach how the people of Israel have a God who is sovereign, who has terms, who is higher than his people, and who has been in relationship with his people, where he is covenanted and committed to be their God, and the people have agreed to keep every element of the law, including the rules and regulations. And he came to teach the people about their relationship with God, how to submit their lives to a sovereign God. In all this talking about law, you might be thinking, so is this a sermon talking about obeying the law? Not really. Because actually this morning's sermon is about the gospel. That's what our text this morning is about. And no, Jesus is not named, but the heart of the very same God who has been relentlessly pursuing his people is what the people are about to see. It's right there, and it's in the reading of the law. So what is happening this morning? The people are renewed as they remember the hero of their story. Renewal, the people of God, happens as they remember the hero of their story. So let's dig into this with these questions that I asked at the beginning. First off, we need to know, what is the law? What is being referred to here? And how does the reading of the law draw such an emotional response from the people that they would weep and that they would mourn and then be told to celebrate in such a great party? I mean, isn't the law just a bunch of rules and regulations? 613 rules and regulations, to be exact, in the Old Testament. And that's what we think about. I mean, that's what I think about when I hear this word most. And most certainly there are a number of rules and regulations, particularly in the books of Numbers, in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's a lot of God's rules and regulations that are set up to guide the people of God. And those laws serve a number of purposes, not least of among which we should call the civil use. The civil use is the purpose of the law to bring regulations on a society of broken people to prevent anarchy 
And this gets at even the question of why, why was Ezra sent in the first place? Why would Artaxerxes, this king in Persia, send a new wave of people back? And it, we see in, in chapter 7 of Ezra, I don't want you to turn back there, but it's to administer justice, to bring law in order. That he might set up a government to keep good order. And so certainly this is one of the uses of the law. And it's one of the things we think about. But the law of Moses is so, so much more than that. You see, the word here in our text in Nehemiah 8 is the Torah of Moses. And what Ezra is reading from daybreak until noon is the Torah. He's actually rereading for the first time in generations the book that was their holy scriptures. He's reading the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that's not just rules and regulations. Actually, it's a love story. It's the story of a real hero. It's the story of a perfect God who is relentlessly pursuing His broken, rebellious people. So I want you to picture the scene this morning. Picture it with me for a moment. I'll give us a painting to kind of help. Everyone in the land hears the news. There's a teacher here. He's a descendant of Aaron, the high priest. He's here. Come to the city. Come to the water gate. We're going to hear the story. And every man and woman, all who could understand, gathered together as one, and they wanted to hear the story. They were pining away for it, like orphan children who get to meet their family for the very first time. They're on the edge of their seats. They're saying, what happened? Where did we come from? Who are we? Like, you know, today everyone and their mother is sending saliva away in the mail to 23andMe because they're asking this question. What's my story? Where do I come from? How much more than just a little bar graph that you know, gives you a couple facts about yourself DNA-wise? How much more is the story when it's a love letter back? Who are we and who is this God? And Ezra climbs up onto the wooden platform. He opens the scroll of the Torah, the law of Moses, and he starts. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made every living thing. He made the colors of the sky, the depths of the sea, the blades of grass, the stars in the expanse of the universe. This God, He walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And yet Adam rebelled. He called Abraham and He made a promise to him. He said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all people. The God who wrestled with Jacob. The God who spoke to Moses through the burning bush. The very same God who rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. He fed them in the wilderness. And He dwelled among His people in the tabernacle. And Ezra read that God made a covenant with His people. The ancestors of all who were standing there 
And he would be their God and they would be his holy people. Set apart a priestly kingdom pointing the rest of the world towards the truth of a living God who is the one true God and He wants to be known. And in this chosen covenant relationship, God laid out what a love relationship with Him could look like with a God who deeply despises sin. And so don't miss this. The laws, the rules and regulations that I referred to earlier, every single one of them were given and based out of a love relationship. And Ezra read from daybreak until noon. And somewhere probably around like 11 a.m. or so, the people heard this in Deuteronomy 4. God speaking through Moses hundreds of years before the people of Ezra's day, and he read, After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, your God, and arousing His anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. And there you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him. And if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey Him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors which He confirmed to them by oath. God called exactly what was going to happen to them. Ezra, by reading the law, was bringing back the story of who the people were. They were the people who God had been chasing after all along. And when Ezra opened the book of law, he was reminding the people of the story of who God is. A perfect God who loved them. A perfect God who loves you. But when they heard it, they also heard their story. That God knew all along that the people He was pursuing were a broken, rebellious, sinful people. And God called it long beforehand. And the people gathered together. They heard it. God knew that they would go into exile and He loved them anyways. He knew they were broken. And He would still be merciful. He would still be loving. And He would still be faithful even to the faithless. How do you think that made the people feel as they stood there and heard their story right back to them? Imagine, it's like, it's like a... It's a terrible analogy, but it's, it's like an unfaithful spouse watching their wedding video and hearing their vows read back to them. How this must have broken them. But even more than that, that God in His vows said, I know you're going to be unfaithful. I'm going to love you anyways. I will never abandon you. So to answer the first question, what is the law? It's more than just rules and regulations. It's the story of a hero. 
And yes, there are rules and regulations, some for the civic use of keeping good order, but they're given in the midst of a love story where God the hero knew they would fall far, far short of keeping their end of the deal. So you might be asking, how does this bring renewal? I thought you said this was about renewal. That's our big idea this morning. Like, How does God's law renew? And this is the second question. We're going to see a couple more uses of the law as we dig further into this. And we'll see that God's law renews people by pointing them in their need to a joyous relationship with Him. But I don't know, because when I look at this and I, I, I look back at the story of our story, of, of the people's story, it just doesn't it just show that God is so far out of reach? It sounds more like being broken than being renewed. I think that's exactly what the people felt. And we see that this morning in the text. The law brings tears. Did you catch it? For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. The law is read and the people weep. They wept because they saw the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, and the glory of a perfect God. And juxtaposed against that, they saw themselves. They saw that God wanted to know us. He walked with us every step of the way and yet we left Him. What wretched people are we? And this is the second purpose of the law. The Gospel use. Well, one side of that is that it reveals that the people of God are in desperate need of Him. That no matter how many times God rescued and saved and provided for His people, they still rebelled. And even today, the law serves to show our sin is what Paul says in Romans 7. I would not have known sin had it not been for the law in order that sin might be recognized as sin. Our need for God is on display in the law and it's about relationship. But this is where on this side of the cross we confuse things because it's not the law's fault that there is this chasm between a perfect God and our totally rebellious and imperfect selves. The Torah, the law, is the story of how God was pursuing His people. The problem is sin. The law is perfect. The psalmist says in Psalm 19, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. This is true today, as it was for the psalmist, as it was for Ezra, because the law doesn't reveal the story of just our brokenness. In fact, it always had to do with the story of a perfect God. And that God is on the move. So imagine again with me that you're there with the people. You've had the wedding video playback, and you're brought to weeping. Because this God is so, so good. And yet we're still unfaithful. But then Ezra turns to the people and he says, this day is a set apart, holy day. Do not mourn or weep. 
Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Actually, get up. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared because there's going to be a party. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It is good and right to recognize our deep, desperate need for God. But you can't stop there. You are missing the whole point that God is on the move. He's calling to us. He's always been calling to us. And this one thing you can count on, that God is so good. And He wants to be in relationship with you. And so the law brings joy. I mean it, like really. When we started off and I said law and everyone laughed, like yeah, really, the law brings joy. The people worship with joy. Yes, with tears first, because they know that they need this God, but then with joy. And the reason is, is because in this story, the hero is on the move. God is on the move. He's not a God who's aloof. He's a God who's been chasing after them. And this is the other side of the Gospel use of the law. It's the relationship use. That in the law, we see that God wants to be in relationship with us. That we were called to chase after a God who is chasing after us. Now this is where I have to say it. Do you see it this morning? The hints of the Gospel in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. God has been chasing after His people on every single page of Scripture. And He's brought the people back from captivity and the exile and there is no place that He won't go to capture the hearts of His people. And so the people here, they're told to party, to celebrate, and they do. They celebrate the Feast of Booths for the very first time since the days of Joshua. Since the days that they were brought into the land of Israel. This is generations and generations back. For the very first time at the end of of, uh, chapter 8 of Nehemiah, they celebrate the Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, for those who are maybe familiar with the tradition. And guess what? It's kind of like their harvest party like we did last week. It's like their Thanksgiving. It was to celebrate God's provision in that harvest time, to pray for His provision for the coming year. But you know what they did? They reenacted and they remembered God's faithfulness. And what they did was they would go out and they would build up a booth, a sort of um, wooden or... or uh, branch structure and they would live there for a week and by living in the booze what they were doing was reenacting the story of coming out of egypt and how they wandered in the wilderness and while they were wandering god provided for every single one of their needs every step of the way that they had a hero a perfect god whose word revealed that he had always always been faithful to them This is a huge deal in the narrative of Ezra and Nehemiah. So how does God's law renew? God's law renews His people through tears. Through their recognition of how desperately they needed this God. But also through joy. Because the story always had a hero from the first page to the last. God's law renews His people because it's the story of a perfect God who relentlessly pursues His imperfect people. 
And He does it all the way to the cross. We think of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as rescuing us from the law. No, it rescues us from sin. Jesus is the climax of the rescue story that builds throughout the whole Old Testament. It's what the story of the law was building towards. And when we see the law, we see God's heart. And we all the more praise God in Christ Jesus. Do you see the good news of the Gospel in our text this morning? I'm so excited about it. What could be better news than this? I want to ask, what are we, so how, do we, how do we respond to this? What are we to do with this? If you have at all been feeling like, what are we doing in the book of Ezra? Like, what are we doing here? I mean, where is Jesus in all of this? Isn't it just like a little bit easier to just stick to the New Testament? My hope and prayer for you this morning is that we would all be experiencing the same thing as the people in Nehemiah 8. I ask you to picture yourself there with them this morning a couple times. Once again, picture yourself with them there. As they ask, how do we go from a renewed building, just a place of worship, to being a renewed people with a renewed relationship with God? And what do they do in Nehemiah 8? They encounter God as they open His law, as they open the Word of God. When you open this book, when you read these stories, when you read the law on every single page, in every single word, the very God who created the universe is the very same God who is calling you to life in Christ Jesus. That God is on display. And when you open the law of God, you hear the Word of God. You can hear the voice of God speaking through His Word. And as you joyfully or maybe begrudgingly dig into Ezra, don't miss the hero on display. Because he's calling. He's been calling. He will always be calling. When you read their story, because don't you see the people are renewed as they remember the hero of their story? This is actually our story. We are renewed as we remember the hero of our story. When you remember the story, you can catch the glimpse of the God who's chasing after you. And that's where renewal is. It's not a feeling. It's about a relationship with God. We're renewed as we remember that God desires that this whole relationship thing that we talk about almost every Sunday is all simply a response to His work. This morning you might be thinking, but when I read Leviticus and Numbers... Jake, I am brought to tears. <laughs> these are like, but these are tears of like boredom or, or honestly like confusion. What do I do with this? And that's where good teaching, where those who have been discipled can function just like Ezra and the Levites did in Nehemiah 8. It says that they made the Scriptures clear and gave them meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And that's where being discipled is so important. Surrounding yourselves with people who can make clear the meaning of God's Word and help you to hear the voice of God in His Word. And many of our small groups have been digging into Ezra 
and Nehemiah. And they're asking the question of what does this mean? And together they're meeting the living God as they dig into His Word. In so doing, if for those who've been doing that, you may just find that even in the books of Numbers, even in the book of Ezra, God's voice speaking right into your heart, saying, be mine, I love you, come home. Or perhaps this morning as I'm talking about the law, you've been thinking, when I open this book and all I see is rules that I could never keep, I thought that the New Testament did away with the law. Right? What Paul says in Romans 7 is that when we look at the law, we are brought to tears. Because there is absolutely no way we could ever overcome sin by trying to keep the law harder or keep it better. Because our hearts are enslaved to sin. But he says the law is delightful. It's spiritual. But sin will always prevent me from being in right, full relationship with a perfect God. And Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? And this is where the law has always revealed the hero. It's always revealed God. Because when we're brought to tears, don't linger there. Celebrate with joy because God has been chasing you. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and this new covenant and this new agreement in Christ Jesus that God has forever purchased our freedom from sin. He chased us all the way to the cross. And this is where Paul answers this question in our tears. He says, don't linger there. Celebrate. Celebrate. Because who will rescue us? He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the Gospel. And now our love relationship with God is not based on our performance. It's based solely on the perfect work of Jesus. He was perfect, and now all we are called to do is place our faith in His grace and mercy. And that's how we are rescued And now our love relationship with Him is one where we can live in His grace. It means we don't have to, but in joyous response to His work, we can live in a love relationship with our hero. And we can see Him on the move in His law. How much more so do we see our rescuer on display? And this is the cry of our heart this morning. Thanks be to God. I hope that today you can walk away knowing in this book, in this Bible, in this story, the Word of God, the law of God renews us because it paves the way for the Gospel. It reveals the story of a perfect God who is relentlessly pursuing His imperfect people. And our response is joy, celebration, and thanksgiving. And we are approaching the Thanksgiving season. I'm sorry to break it to some of you who want more fall. But we're approaching Thanksgiving. We're weeks away. And I want to ask, how are you going to remember the hero of our story this Thanksgiving? Will you get so caught up in the preparation of that meal that you have little 
time to do more than just ask God for a blessing on the gluttony of the day. Or will you build a booth in your backyard? I'm only partially kidding. I'm going to ask, how can you reenact? I mean, they had it right, right? Like, reenact is great learning theory. That's what we do with the Sunday school downstairs. What they've done over the course of time is, is actually doing plays to cement the story that they've heard, to reenact the story that they've just heard. How can you remember or reenact this year the story of God's rescue in your life? I don't want to limit anyone's creativity here. You can build a booth in your backyard. That'd be great. Let me give you an example. What if it could be as simple as journaling? Sign up for the Going Deeper emails. This is a shameless plug. It's okay. Sign up for the Going Deeper emails. Buy yourself a new journal. Or pull one out from the bookshelf. And spend each day remembering the hero of your story this Thanksgiving season. That our hearts would actually be drawn into remembering, to reenacting the great story of God. How do we respond this morning? I pray that we have hearts that would be cultivated to remember the hero of our story. Jesus Christ, God Almighty. Perhaps through discipleship or or through thanksgiving. Ezra has entered the scene here in Ezra 7 and 8 and Nehemiah 8, and he's come to bring the law. And yes, the civic use of bringing order and justice, but really he's come to bring the people their story. It's the story of a hero, God Almighty. And the people see hints of the gospel and the law, they recognize their need, and they also celebrate because God, he's the God who always wanted to know them, is a God that we don't have to try harder or better. He's the God who's on the move. He, uphold, he upheld every side of the deal. And that's why the law always led to Christ. And now like the people in Nehemiah 8, we get to celebrate. Our hero is on display. Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus, we are saved. And so we remember and every time we remember, every time we reenact, you know what happens? Our hearts are stirred. Our lives get a little more reoriented. And ultimately, renewal is the goal among the people. Not just a place, but a people who would be renewed in their relationship with God. We are renewed as we remember the hero of our story. What an amazing text. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, you are on the move, stirring up hearts in this city stirring up our hearts in this place. God, You are alive and You're calling us back to You. 
And so God, I pray that You would help us. Give us the will. Give us the consciousness to remember who You are. To remember our story. That in our sin, in our shame, You did not leave us alone, but You've been calling since the beginning. And even now, in this place. So God, I ask that You would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that would long to meet with You, the living God. We love You and we praise You. You are our focus, our center. You're our hero in every sense of that word, God. And we worship and we praise You. We give You all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.